If you were a Chicago music fan, you probably recognize the name Spencer Tweedy. He's the son of Sue Miller, who ran revered former Chicago venue Lounge Acts, and Jeff Tweedy of Wilco. But Spencer's so much more than that. He's an accomplished and much sought after drummer, an author of the book of Mirror Sound, an all around genuine person. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with Spencer as he shares what he's been up to lately, what he's most excited about in 2022, and what it's like to have your after school job being playing drums with Mavis Staples. Thank you again, Spencer, for being such a wonderful person to talk to. Your deep music knowledge and kindness really shown through in our chat, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. As always, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands, and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. All right. Uh, well, we have a very special guest this week. It is Spencer Tweedy, uh, Chicago musician, book author, various different uh, musical outlets. Man right about town. Man about yeah. town. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, it was nice of you to dress up. He's got, <laughs> he's got a <laughs> nice little shirt, sweater and shirt on there. This was uh, a Hanukkah gift. This is a recent oh, Hanukkah gift. Sweet. Well. Happy belated Hanukkah to you. Thank you. Uh, so well, we're going to jump around to various points as we go, but what are you currently working on right now? Right now, I'm finishing up the uh, first Case Oates album, uh, which is my girlfriend Casey's band, Casey Walker. Um, we tracked the basics last summer, summer 2020. <clears throat> it was like our first experience being around other people at the time. Um post lockdown mm-hmm. um and uh and we've sort of let those basic tracks marinate and now we're finally putting the final pieces together did you feel like giving it that time to gestate did anything make you want to go back and be like oh we we had this note before we wrote the song this way before now mm-hmm. we want to switch it up or are you like we're committed to what we laid down a year ago no it's actually the opposite there's some uh there's at least one arrangement where now listening to those tracks um uh we feel like we want to play it it's different from how we've been playing it live and we want to go back to playing it that way um that's really cool and there's a couple for me play having played the drums there are a couple things that i um that i do kind of wish i did differently but i don't know there might be an opportunity to kind of massage it into uh different in it the record is, um, you know, it's it's pretty country style, but we are we definitely don't um, constrain ourselves to making it all like country idiomatic. So there might be a way to, I don't know, swap in a brand new section, a uh, brand new recorded section or something like that, and make it sound a little un- unusual. Yeah, I was uh, recently as watching you were on the the rap boys virtual tour with them. Oh yeah. And that was really cool. It was really fun to see you guys playing there. Did you record this album in your living room? Like you were talking about then, or did you play it down somewhere else? Like maybe at the loft or somewhere else? No, we recorded it at, um, the other, uh, Max Subar and Jason Ashworth who are in the band. We, uh, we recorded it in their basement, uh, their roommates. And we just brought, I brought a lunchbox of recording gear, uh, to their basement and we did it all there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, feel like that's got to be a little interesting, especially like in the post COVID times or we're still mm-hmm. in the COVID times, but like yeah. feeling comfortable to, to like be around people again and record stuff. Did that like 
affect how you did things or was it like same process as normal? Um, well, we did a bunch of, we all were t- like doing testing before we got together. It didn't really affect the recording process itself. I don't think, um, we kind of just, I think we did it over two or three days and we, uh, I was looking at the sessions again, cause we're working on it. And I, I noticed that we kind of spent like, we kind of recorded a full hour of material per song. Um, cause we were just, we would just open one song at a time and run it as many times as we needed to, to get a take that we all felt good about, which as I'm saying that it's coming out of my mouth that realize that's kind of the most, uh, <laughs> that's just how it's done. Generally speaking, that's, <laughs> and there's nothing special about that, but, um, but yeah, we just really wanted to get it in that time frame because, um, we knew we could, we only felt comfortable spending a couple of days together. And, and it's kind of, I mean, I'm continually impressed with how professional that group of musicians is because, cool. um, it all just feels really solid and, you know, it's not perfect, but that thank God it's not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was really impressed. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was really impressed when watching the, the virtual tour, you guys, you all seemed mm-hmm. you flowed really well together. It seemed like you genuinely really liked one another. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, Casey and I are, uh, our partners, so that, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and especially and, the yeah, two we, of you. Yeah. No, the, I mean, we, I, I'll just take that as an opportunity to gush about the other guys in the band because they are like truly some of the best people on the planet. And they're just such unbelievably kind people and really, really hardworking. Um, and yeah, and they're just really great people. <laughs> Obviously, you know, with your past, you've been exposed to a lot of this stuff, whether it's playing, recording, engineering, you know, all of that kind of thing. But uh, uh, was it kind of cool to be kind of doing this whole thing yourself? You know, I mean, with your bandmates, um, you know, kind of start to finish playing it on the record, uh, recording it, engineering it, all those kind of things. Uh, definitely. I love... I love producing recordings and, um, and I guess it's, uh, sort of a new experience for me because I've, I've done that for many of my friends, but, and I've played on their records too, but mm-hmm. not really in this, uh, in a, in a group, you know? And so this is kind of the first time that I'm doing that for, um, for, a, a like an actual group. And yeah, it's really fun. I love, I love that it's possible for us to do that and that we don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't have to wait around for, uh, we don't have to have a whole bunch of money to go do it somewhere or something like that. Yeah. It's, uh, it strikes me like what you were talking about in, in part of an excerpt from your book, mirror sound, we were talking about like the, you don't have to have the best of everything. You can like go do it yourself. And like, there's a real DIY aesthetic that's now existing because of technology that allows people to do that themselves versus feeling like Mm -hmm. they have to book time in a studio. Yeah, definitely. That was, that's one of the main inspirations behind that book or the, one of the main um, things that we were trying to document with it, because it's super empowering when you become aware as a young person or whatever, that that's possible. Um, and that you not only that it's possible, but that it doesn't lead to some sort of compromise in the quality of recording. Like, 
it's not like doing it on your own means that it's going to sound like um, a cassette tape that's about to fall apart, which can also be great. Um, or that it's going to sound like um, that a listener is going to be think that it was made. They're going to listen to it and think, oh, this was made on GarageBand or something like that, which is also okay. But um, the, the fact that you can do it and have it actually sound like the records that you love mm-hmm. is crazy. That's like, that's, so exciting so that's definitely one of the main themes of the book yeah i thought that was really cool and to to talk a little bit more about the book did you feel like that was a project that had been gestating for a while or is it something that you're like hey we're all having to put our lives on pause because of covid and being in lockdown this is a a way for me to be creative when i can't be creative in normal uh outlets it was actually totally finished before the pandemic (laughs) um which was very strange. Uh, it was a strange coincidence. And obviously we, uh, Lawrence and Daniel and I, my collaborators on the book would not have preferred for the pandemic to happen, but it was um, really bizarre that it ended up being really relevant for people being at mm-hmm. home um, right around the time it was released. So um, uh, it was, it was, gestating for a really long time i first approached lawrence about the idea in like 2017 i think um and uh at the time i was you know just thinking about records that i love that are self-recorded like um some paul mccartney solo records and Mm -hmm. emmett Rhodes and and uh and tame impala records and just like countless records that are made that way and thinking about how they have this special glue, like this special cohesive sound because one person made all of it um, and they kind of were, are able to coordinate all the different processes and crafts of, of using that medium. Um, and, uh, and I was also just, I've always been into writing and publishing and l- weird little uh, publishing projects. And so I approached Lawrence about it and at, in the beginning, we actually um, talked to the tape op folks about maybe just collaborating with them and using some of their material or Larry's uh, expertise because he's, you know, amazing. Larry Crane of um, tape op. So because they're so great. And that's, you know, my main resource for uh, that's all self recorders main resource for learning about stuff. Um and they were really, really sweet when we talked to them, but it turned out, you know, they just, they have their own plans for, <laughs> for publishing. <laughs> so we, so we, um, so Lawrence and I, Lawrence Azarod, the graphic designer and my co-creator with it, um, we just spent a couple, I guess, two years developing a pitch and sending it around to various people and improving it over time with advice from like friends of Lawrence and the pub, Lawrence's in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. and uh until uh, prestel finally bought it and then we we made it in a very made it in 2019 in a very short period of time i thought it was really cool that you have like such a wide variety of musicians on it right it's not just like oh these are all indie musicians you know you have open mic eagle you have some hip-hop people in there you have some indie musicians like how did you go about uh figuring out who is going to be in the book oh thanks i'm glad that it um that it reads as like a broad group of musicians to you because that was um, a main goal of ours, excuse me, 
Um, well, I guess we went about picking the musicians by, I mean, we, we were, as you could probably tell, we relied on a lot of relationships that I already had, sure. um, yeah. having, you know, played shows with my dad or just been around. Um, so I reached out to a lot of people that I could loosely call friends or at least acquaintances. And then together with our editor, Holly at Prestel, we, um, you know, we just, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't all white guys, uh, to put it simply. <laughs> sure. it, I mean, sure. it's more yeah. complicated than that, but yeah, for sure. So we were just, we, and, and to begin with, it wasn't thankfully, but we, but then we also pushed to meet to bring some other folks in and to be perfectly honest with you, we, I, I mean, we could have done better than that. It's still, it's still, I think a little bit more than half white guys, but, um, but I think that hopefully, you know, uh, it, at least it's not, um, totally homogenous and there's like just a lot of, a lot of different folks in there and hopefully people can see, um, you know, find someone who feels yeah. r- relatable to them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's gonna be a round two? We, th- we talk about it all the time and I have a little running list of folks that we would like to, uh, who might be a good fit for another mm-hmm. volume, but, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think what's maybe more likely than a volume two of the book is maybe something in some other medium, like, like, um, like Lawrence and I have spent a lot of time over the past, uh, since the release of the book, talking with different people about video versions of things. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's certainly on the table cause there's, thousands if not millions yeah. of people who work this way and they all have uh their own um way of doing things and their own experiences um and it's just so fun to see how other people do it so we might we might do something do more in the future uh that's great uh so going back to recording quesos mm-hmm. uh did you get some PTS? have you seen get back by the beatles yet oh yeah Big did you time. get some PTSD from that seeing as they're to do the songs over and over and over again? Oh God, no, I got, I got deep pangs of longing to, <laughs> be, to, uh, to record some more. And like, um, yeah, no, it, it's not painful. Um, or recording the case notes tracks that way wasn't really painful, even though we did the songs a bunch of times, it all comes down to like the dynamics between the people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as I previously said, all of those people are really, really great. So, you know, there's just so much respect and patience. Everybody in that band is really mature. Um, And that doesn't mean boring. They're just like (laughs) very, you know, they're not impulsive. They're not Mm -hmm. like, um, they're not like just being, you know, rude and impatient to one another. So, so that was easy. And, and honestly, like with, the, I mean, there's, especially in episode one of get back, there was certainly a lot of tension and anxiety, but, um, uh, but I think for the most part, like when you see them doing uh, many, many takes of a song, they're like, they have such a sense of duty and like professionalism to it. Yeah. They, I don't, I don't think they're sick of it. Maybe they're a little exhausted by the end of it, but that's because they've been drinking champagne all day and uh 
and only eating to toast. nothing but toast. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I so, thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting about it was they had the stopwatch. I don't know if you caught that part where they're like, yeah. so how long was that song? And they're like, oh, two bits of 54 seconds. And I was like, wow, I know. people do it that way. Yeah. I mean, like the equivalent of that today is doing a little voice memo on your phone and seeing <laughs> yeah. how, or the stopwatch on your phone, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that, that I loved that moment too. It was like, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it was like, oh yeah, they have to uh, try, consciously try to make a song the, the right length too <laughs> yeah yeah they're not like a hardcore band with like a 40 second song right yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so what's what's uh just one or two more questions about quesos if you don't mm-hmm. mind uh mm-hmm. how did how did it started out as your girlfriend casey walker mm-hmm. okay casey walker's solo project you get brought in was that like a, a scary moment a very intimate moment where you're like hey you want to make music together like that's a serious <laughs> next step you know um almost well, a commitment yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i'm trying to think back to well so in the beginning casey had a band with her good friend luke um that was called crybaby and which by the way i think that's a really great band name and now that yeah. i've seen there's at least one other band who's using it um but they had a bit they had sort of a duo and they would play shows um and this is probably toward the end of 2018. Casey was just talking about wanting to write her own songs and do her own thing. And there was never a conversation about starting a band. And to this day, I still think of it as like Casey's project. And she really wants to think of it. Or uh, Me, Jason, Max, and Scott, who plays fiddle, I don't think I mentioned yet, um, are, are always completely deferential to Casey and Mm -hmm. refer to it as her project, but Mm -hmm. she has a dream of being in a band and really wants it to be a band. So, um, uh, but I guess my point was there was, there's never been any conversation about starting a band. It was just facilitating her songs. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so the first uh, practice, I guess, was at her, um, her old apartment uh, that she was in at that time and we had our friend Jack playing bass and my, my really close friend and like longtime bandmate, um, Henry True playing guitar. And Henry played the first couple shows with us on guitar. Um, and then at some point it just kind of wordlessly settled into the, the current group of, of people. But yeah, I guess you could say it's a commitment, but it's really more just like Casey asked for help with making some songs and mm-hmm. it was just like, of course. Uh, so does that mean you have a creative outlet of your own that exists outside of, of quesos that like <clears throat> stuff you're, you're working on? I know you have some solo albums that I've listened to on, on Bandcamp. Like, is there, mm-hmm. are you working on other solo material or like, how do you get that outlet out outside of quesos? Well, quesos it's, it's uh, maybe I haven't, maybe I kind of mischaracterize it just now because I do write the song, almost all the songs with Casey okay. and um, that's super gratifying because I really struggle to write songs by myself. I really, I, I self edit too much and mm-hmm. I just, um, I don't know. It's, it's all of the things that anybody is familiar with of doubting themselves about creative projects or whatever. Yeah are more pronounced when I'm, when I'm writing by myself. So it's, uh, and Casey just has this like 
kind of free flowingness to her creativity. And she's also, I mean, she studied creative writing at Columbia College and her, um, her background is sort of in just like really opening the faucet of writing stuff. And so we have an, uh, this nice process that helps me sort of feel like I can come up, just come up with melodies and chord progressions and then, and, and then with her feedback, we refine stuff and she contributes parts and it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, so I do, I am involved in, in that side of things and, and it's really gratifying for me, but yeah, I do, I do have solo uh, songs of my own and, you know, um, like I just mentioned, it's just really slow going. And a lot of the recordings that I, that I have and intend to finish, um, that I have like piled up and I'm intending to finish are at this point, like many years old. So I think, um, my next steps are probably going to be starting some stuff from scratch. Cause I think it'll feel weird if I release things that are kind of at this point feeling super distant to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, um, I do have that outlet and I, I think I would feel really weird if I didn't have that. That's, uh, that's been one of my main goals is to like, you know, since I was young is to make those records by myself. And, um, and yeah, I just, it's been tough to, to prioritize, but it's, I love it. (laughs) I love making that stuff. Well, that yeah, was going to be uh, uh, that was going to be one of my questions. Is um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you're 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 pretty young, but you've had a lot of different creative outlets. Whether it's mm-hmm. writing a book or or doing your own music or playing with a bunch of you know really cool great artists um, and and other things that you've been doing, um, do you feel like you're kind of just sampling these things, looking for the thing you're going to love the most. Do you, do you just like doing a whole variety of different things? Um, is it easiest for you just to, to do whatever comes up or how does that all work for you? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I don't look at it like sampling those things. I look at, they're all like, uh, extremely important to me, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, uh, well, to give, I guess I could give to, to, uh, I could give you a little picture of like the, the mental structure of all that in my head, which is go. basically like, <laughs> love to hear, uh, playing with my dad, playing with Liam, playing with, uh, with Seaman and Macy, like playing with all these loved ones basically mm-hmm. is, is, is one star and making my, my own right. Oh, and, and you could put Casey in that too um a little afterthought just kidding you know we've, just because we've been talking about it already uh, yeah. um uh making my own records you know uh whether it's finishing up that old stuff or making new stuff and then sort of is a second star and then sort of everything else i guess um yeah i guess i have a lot of uncertainty about uh about those other projects because i'm not a full-time writer i'm not a full-time author mm-hmm. and I've, as a teenager, I was also, <clears throat> excuse me, I also did some like freelance graphic design work and I've always been really into computer, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, computers and, and design and, and stuff like that. But I don't really have any, um, you know, I'm not really in that world and I don't have any professional 
opportunities or, or goals there. So it's just sort of like this other thing that's floating around and kind of informs how I feel about other like musical creative projects and, and other things. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this answer other than <laughs> to say that um, I just, I, do, I guess I do go, I do move through my life kind of uh, very reactively and just, um, you know, responding to the opportunities that, uh, that come, that come up, which is like crazy that I can function that way, but it's mm -hmm. really, it's really fun. And, uh, <clears throat> and I don't feel like it's, um, well, particularly with my own records, I don't feel like it's exactly where I want it to be, but, um, but I'm just, well, actually, to be honest, I'm putting thing I've been, I've spent the last year or year and a half trying to put things in place so that I can, um, work on, like, give some more attention to that goal a little bit. Um, and specifically <laughs> that was really vague. I just mean that I've been more building a studio, building a place where I can do that stuff. Um, and yeah, just kind of, um, the, like playing for my dad and playing for, for my friends is kind of just like, uh, I feel incredibly lucky to get to do that. So I just sort of, um, that's, that's like the center around which all my, my uh, other goals revolve yeah you've developed a community that you really care about and you mm -hmm. you're like you know feeding into that and having mm -hmm. really good experiences with those people i think that makes a ton of sense it's what we're trying to do here you know we're trying to highlight yeah. those those yeah, great exactly. relationships people are building yeah yeah totally um, so with with your dad uh, if you don't mind us asking a couple of questions about mm -hmm. him, uh, yeah. working with him, not about him directly. But, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, how tall is No, uh, sorry. It's a bad <laughs> joke. Uh, so obviously you grew up playing music with him and everything. At what point did it get like, I'm, I'm going to use a bad term, like quote unquote serious, like Suki Ray came out in 2014, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, at what point did that feel like this is some, like an actual project versus like, Hey, I'm just jamming, messing around with my dad. Yeah. <clears throat> um, no, don't feel bad about using the word serious. I mean, it's a really good question. Um, it, uh, it happened a little bit before 2014, like probably around 2012, because um, my dad was working on the album One True Vine with Mavis, uh, with Mavis Staples. And they initially started working on that album, intending it to be basically a an album of duets between the two of them or not duets, oh, wow. but, um, uh, you know, Mavis singing and my dad playing acoustic guitar basically mm -hmm. was, I think the idea. And they started working on it that way. <clears throat> and, uh, my dad wanted to try drums on some song. I can't remember what, which one, uh, to start with. And I went to high school, um, uh, not super far from the studio. And so I was able to kind of come over there after school. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my dad needs help with something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just had to laugh cause I know it's just, it's weird. But, um, uh, he asked me to come by and to try to play on one of the songs that they were working on. And I and I did, and it was, and it was really fun to kind of, and, you know, it seemed to, I seemed to do what uh, they were looking for. 
And I think then we tried another one, maybe in the same session. And, um, and then sort of established a routine of me coming over after school and trying drums on whatever they had worked on that day. And it ended up sort of, it sort of being the record, the record ended up being, mm-hmm. uh, mostly the three of us. I think Scott Legan plays keyboards on some of it. Um, and some background singers. Um, you would probably know Tom better than, than I would, who the personnel, the final personnel on the record is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so that was, that was the beginning because my dad was also planning on recording a solo album, like truly by himself, a solo album af- scheduled after that Mavis mm-hmm. record. But we just kept the ball rolling. I think it was literally the next day after the last um, tracking days for Mavis. Um, actually, no, I don't know that for sure. But it was very close in time. It was like the next week or something. And and we kept on doing it, working the same way, where my dad would um, record a acoustic guitar track and I would play along to it, or we would record acoustic guitar and drums at the same time, or sometimes bass and drums at the same time. And, uh, and that, and that was the, the, uh, the ball that got it all rolling, or I guess the ball that started rolling. (laughs) That's, that's really unique and super cool. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. When you step into a project where you're working with, whether it be your dad or like Mavis or, Mm -hmm. or Liam, you know, you're on a play drums on a bunch of different, uh, albums and with a lot of different people. Uh, do you, how much free, like leeway do you get to like fill that space? Or are they like, here's what I'm going for? Like for going back to the get back analogy, are mm-hmm. you being dictated to like Paul McCartney is being dictated to George Harrison about he wants a solo mm-hmm. or are you given more room to, to roam in that situation? So one of my favorite things about working with, uh, with my dad and also Liam, like you mentioned, is that I, I get a chance to just respond to them first you know Mm -hmm. they don't they almost never come to me and like beatbox a beat Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know which would be fine and i've worked with people who do it that way but i uh i think one of the things that makes the relationships so fun is that um they show me what they're doing and then i play along to it and that's I really like that because that's an opportunity for me to, for us to kind of telepathically see if we're on the same mm-hmm. page. And then I get to, I basically get to guess, or I, I get to play what feels like uh, appropriate and, har- and harmonious to them. And then, you know, see if it, if it's what they wanted. And, <clears throat> and it really often is thankfully. Uh, but every once in a while, you know, like um, a specific example would be, on the song don't forget by my dad um i was playing i i was playing something probably pretty similar to what you hear on on the record but it was a bit softer than what he was than what he was hearing you know sometimes especially when you're just tracking and it's just those two basic instruments to begin with or whatever um the whole arrangement isn't there and that really can change the that that can totally like the scaffolding that builds up around it later can totally change what you wouldn't would want to play dynamically. And um, so I, my dad was hearing something more 
like the faces, you know, more a little bit slightly opener hi hat and just played a little bit harder and um and so I did that. <laughs> I <laughs> I guess it's not the most interesting story, but long story short, um they're they're very they're very open ended <clears throat> and thankfully we just we share a musical language so that mm-hmm. it's most of the time most of the time I can kind of arrive at what they were hearing and then every once in a while um, you know, they got to reveal like that there was something inspired in, in their head that, that they really would like to hear realized. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I was really struck by something you said in an art and article I was reading in Pitchfork about talking about Montessori school and how you felt like mm-hmm. that, that created a lot of value for you feeling like, Hey, I'm on an equal footing with these people. Uh, it doesn't have to be like a parent, child, older person, younger person dynamic. I, I would imagine that would have really helped stepping in working with your dad or maybe less so your dad. Cause it's like, you guys have always been playing together, but like, you know, working with Nora Jones or working with maybe Staples <clears throat> and working with Liam, like these older musicians. Yeah. Well, it's kind of tough to say because, you know, in like, for example, uh, playing with Nora, I was in the room with my dad. So I, I already, and we were in our own comfortable turf of the loft. So mm-hmm. I w- was already sort of in a comfortable space where it feels like, <laughs> like Nora's coming into our house. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, you belong there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was mostly a joke, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I was still uh, intimidated by that. And, and well, and, and also with Mavis, you know, we, uh, I never track with her because we're always creating the basics before she's doing vocals. Um, or at least that's the way we, we've done it on the two records that I've been a part of. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, those Montessori, those Montessori principles, um, I look at it more the other way where it's, it's, it's less about making me feel like confident and like I can hold my own with adults and more <clears throat> makes me feel like, um, uh, like I know how to respect them if that makes sense, I mm-hmm. guess, uh, because of, you know, there's a huge emphasis placed on making eye contact and just sort of like, um, you know, on, they teach kids to, uh, to, be like to, to, I guess to behave sort of like adults. So that's maybe mm-hmm. more of how I think of it more so than like giving me some sense of I deserve, you know, respect or something like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That makes a, a ton of sense. Um, so this is like a, an odd question, but <laughs> I'm worried to go for it. Uh, yeah. So a lot of times musicians have like uh, a period where they're, they're being creative, they're on their way up and they're not like fully formed the first time you see them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel, did it feel weird that like the first thing you put out was Suki Ray with your dad and that that had like a big spotlight on it. Like you're playing like bigger stages. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Did you feel like, did it, did it feel, I don't want to say weird or strange. Those are not good terms, but yeah. was it like an added pressure on you or did it, was it just like, Hey, this is just, <clears throat> this is just life. Like, this is what I'm used to. Like, this is totally normal to me. Um, honestly, it felt more like the latter 
<laughs> more like the latter thing you described and not in any sense of that I took it for granted because actually my feeling in 2014 was that I was really, ex- I was extremely surprised that not only that we had made the that album, but also that we were playing shows. The idea of playing shows um, with that material didn't really come about till the end of the session. And my dad, I mean, it almost sounded like, uh, like it was something my dad said on a whim like we should go we should go play some shows i was like oh my god (laughs) so i was really i was really surprised because i grew up uh watching wilco videos on vhs and dreaming about doing that and did not expect it at all like i didn't i didn't think that i would get to um to do that with my dad so and let alone uh at that age so i was surprised but it didn't feel um i wasn't thinking about it being strange that people were seeing me at an, at an yeah. early stage or anything like that um i felt really comfortable with it mostly because of being around seeing so many local mm-hmm. shows and being around yeah, sure all of them but uh, but also um just one more thing to say about that is i had been playing shows with um you know, with my friends in the blisters, the blisters, yeah, yeah. Since we were seven years old, so even so, yeah, the show, the the stages I was on um, with my dad uh, then were definitely bigger than anything I had been on before. But I also really felt comfortable playing shows. Thankfully, you know, I think it would yeah. have been a lot more difficult if I didn't have that experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it would been a lot more daunting for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, talking um, about, uh, you know, having watched Wilco shows, et cetera, um, obviously, you know, you grew up from an early age being ex- exposed to an incredible drummer, unique drummer, then Kochi, um, mm-hmm. you know, did that, did that shape any of your drumming experience? Um, you know, what kind of relationship do you have with Glenn? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I listen to some of my drum fills sometime and sometimes, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a, that's Glenn. Like, <laughs> or actually I hear, actually I, I, I listen to Wilco or I, or I, or I see a Wilco show and certain, certain idioms that Glenn mm-hmm. does. I'm like, wow, I, that's like, that's in me, you know? Yeah. Right. So, and it's just natural. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you absorb, you exactly. we're just, we're absorbent creatures yeah um and glenn glenn did give me some uh you know some formal drum lessons when i was six five or six and he taught me how to read music and he taught me how to do a drum roll (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i think uh, but that was maybe just um like a couple of sessions at um our house at the time um uh but yeah, our, our relationship is one where uh, or I look up to him a lot. And every time I see him, uh, we hug. I, <laughs> I love him. And, and um, you know, we joke around about how my dad plays with, with me and with the Tweety Band. And oh, there's like a joking competitiveness with the Wilco <laughs> Band. But, but ultimately, I mean, but yeah it's it's joking because uh everybody knows that glenn is one of the you know most in, 
accomplished and unique drummers to mm -hmm. ever live. So yeah, he's unbelievable. And yeah, I'm I'm extremely indebted to him. Yeah, mo awesome. the thing I take away the most, other than his feel and and some of those fills or whatever, is is his inventiveness. Because mm -hmm. I, b him being a huge figure in my life from such an early age, or when I was you know really teaching myself how to drum and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the number one takeaway was like, find something weird to play. And that doesn't mean it has to be it. That, ideally that doesn't mean that it's convoluted and right. clever for, for, for its own sake, but like truly like push yourself to find something that is a little bit unexpected. And I think I saw somebody recently pointing, <clears throat> excuse me, pointing that out about Ringo too. Mm -hmm. on it was like a tiktok somebody was just kind of explaining to lay people why some musicians love ringo so much and one of one of the reasons is that so many of those drum parts elevate the song because it's not what most people traditional would yeah. play and mm -hmm. and yeah as we saw and get back some of that is sometimes thanks to paul because sometimes he's singing some you know unusual part to him but it's like yeah from glenn I, it, it, it ab he absolutely taught me or listening to him taught me that you should, um, just really search for something cool and, mm -hmm. and, and, and unexpected. Awesome. Yeah. He's, he, Ringo's watching them like a hawk. It's crazy. He's just like sitting there yeah. and all of a sudden he's just like, okay, I'm just going to drop in here. And it's like yeah. what you've heard a million times. Right. And you're like, God, yeah. like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Let's talk about uh, your your like uh, Chicago music, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you and your family have been obviously have hey, your mom ran uh, lounge acts and everything like that. So you have a, quite the affinity for smaller venues, and I know with everything going on with the hideout, you guys have been involved with like helping support and get a lot of attention and eyes on on the hideout and trying mm -hmm. to support it. What why is it so important? We know why, but why don't you tell everybody why is it so important <laughs> for these smaller venues to to exist and continue to right. thrive. Well, they are the place where um, all of the ingenuity and, and like new ideas kind of bubble up. Uh, I think music is definitely a trickle up economy and, <laughs> and all of the experimentation and growth, like the beginnings of growth all happens in these small clubs. And, um, you know, I was just talking about my own experience playing local shows with my with the blisters and um, like nobody could really do this and and make music for other people if there weren't places with really low barriers of entry to mm -hmm. to go and play something. And by the way, that doesn't mean that these clubs like the hideout, you know, have just anybody on their stage. It's definitely sure, yeah. like curated and it's, yeah, it's um, a vetting yeah. process for sure. Yeah, and you know, like you gotta you gotta really try hard and offer something worthwhile to even get there in the first place. But you know, it's like you can't jump from being in your uh, in your bedroom to being in a theater that's owned by a, a multinational corporation. Generally speaking, so they're super important. Not to mention just the experience as a concert goer of being in a place mm -hmm. that feels cozy and feels mm -hmm. like personable and where you can get to know folks and just like you know be in a place that feels human like it's run by people and yeah that's one of the main reasons those places are important to me 
I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're you're obviously a, an active participant in the Chicago music community. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think makes that community so special and unique? Well, my <laughs> my answer to that is um, I have to confess I listened to Mark's uh, Mark Greenberg's interview <laughs> mm-hmm. with you guys, and it's exact. My answer is exactly the same as Mark's, uh, and the same as a lot of people's, which is there's a distinct lack of competitiveness in the Chicago music mm-hmm. community. There's way more cooperation than competition. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that just feels really good. It feels good, excuse me, <clears throat> to um, to be around people who feel like they, w- or uh, who make you feel like they want you to succeed rather than people who are like side-eyeing you as uh, stepping yeah. on their, their game or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just very welcoming and there's a lot of sharing as you, you guys probably see all the time. There's, there's members of bands mm-hmm. in like every other band. And maybe that, maybe all that says is that Chicago is a little, um, small, but honestly, it's really not small. It's one of the mm-hmm. lo- biggest cities in the world and that's still the case. So I think that's, um, that is one uh, thing that shows how, willing to give everybody is in the music community here well first of all thank you for listening to that other episode yeah. uh <laughs> secondly mark, I, mark I agree. was great yeah yeah huge fan huge fan yeah. like mm-hmm. one of the nicest dudes i've ever met yeah virtually mm-hmm. but still yeah uh so you're you're starting to play shows again um mm-hmm. so you played the hideout um you were playing at fitzgerald's uh i saw tweety at that drive-in show in bridgeview uh, and it was like, it was really like a, a, a special experience because, uh, you know, people, myself, Mike and myself included here went to the front of the stage and it felt like quote unquote normal again. Right. Like mm-hmm. this feels yeah. like what a concert should feel like. It was like kind of emotional. And I feel like I could tell for you guys, it kind of felt that way too. Um, does it feel normal to be playing shows yet? Or is it still like in the times of COVID you're like, Oh, I'm nervous to go out there. Yeah. And too many things to worry about. It, it it does feel normal and it kind of felt normal right away back in, I think it was July when shows started happening again. Um, kind of, it it was kind of alarming how normal it felt. It felt like <laughs> maybe it, it, maybe it shouldn't feel this normal. Right. And, and you guys will remember that in that early period of reopening, there were no masks and it just felt like our idea of reopening then was was full normal like what like it's Mm -hmm. done and then of course like you know only a couple weeks later masks were reinstituted you know with good reason and um agreed and it's just sort of like hovered around in in this it's been confusing and some people feeling like that should go away and like then that they should come back and it's just it's not been a a clean band-aid removal but um um but yeah, it definitely felt. I w- it, it felt normal right away, and then I guess it started feeling that the normalness started feeling like very questionable as as <laughs> right. time went on a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And right now, you know, like um, I'm glad that touring is more or less uh, happening at its um, pre-pandemic volume. But but also like you know, countless bands that we know. Uh, you know, get a COVID case on the road and they have to cancel their shows and it's, and it mm-hmm. sucks. And 
Mm-hmm. Like it just happened to some of my friends in Europe. And um, I don't think, it, I don't think that means that we should, that there should be no touring at all. I think that would be really harmful, but, and, and unnecessary for safety, but it's just confusing. It's confusing. And, but I will, the shows, when you're at the shows, they definitely feel normal. And I also say like outside of like, outside of, um, you know, bigger cities or outside of the North or whatever it is, I don't know what the map would look like. It's like, there's definitely, there's a wide range of feelings about whether or not the pandemic Mm -hmm. is, is going on or what the dangers are. I'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. We were um, talking with Dylan from Spanish love songs. I don't know if you've ever, Mm -hmm. ever heard them, but he was saying like, there's this, this, disconnect between disparate parts of the country and it's going to get to a point mm-hmm. where it feels like you're only going to be comfortable and feel safe like playing in in certain cities and you're going mm-hmm. to avoid certain parts where that's not the case and that's like a scary thought to yeah. me because i still want there to be like the opportunity for yeah. people in these these other places to see great music yeah yeah it's a scary thought um i think that that would be sad you know but at the same time it's like communities need to be realistic about what the risks are. And it's, and Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, it was like when I was on tour with Ohm in October and that was sort of my first time out of uh, playing out of the state in a while. um, It was pretty disappointing for even these places with a lot of uh, like, like for example, we were in um, like Des Moines and, and Dallas and like these like, really big communities where people are exposed to a lot of ideas and a lot of diverse identities and stuff. And they were like, there was still this sense that like you're a wimp if you have a mask on. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, that makes no sense. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want people to get isolated. I don't want people to get, um, to get, uh, cut off from music that could really make their life better. We just all need to like, uh, you know, respect each other mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in more ways than one for sure yeah mm-hmm. uh, uh I, yeah i feel like go ahead oh, i i've got a question um mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, obviously there's certain privileges being the son of sue and jeff and everything but one of the coolest things i think is the chance to meet avis staples you know somebody yeah. who has such a long incredible history that all happened like way before you even met her. And then you get <laughs> yeah. to meet her and she's doing these <laughs> yeah. cool things. So, so how cool yeah. is that? It's crazy. I mean, the fact that she uh, welcomes my family as basically like an adoptive extended family of her own can, continually amazes me and makes me feel really, really lucky. And I was especially feeling that just, a, you know, just a, uh, a couple of weeks ago because I got to play those shows mm-hmm. drumming for Kelly Hogan. And she was opening for Mavis at Talia hall and at Fitzgerald's mm-hmm. two benefit shows. And, um, and Mavis said on stage that her grandson was here tonight or both her grandsons <laughs> were here, me and oh, Sammy, my, so my brother, Sammy. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it, it always makes me feel like, what did we do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. But I guess all we did, well, first of all, I mean, that's asking the wrong question of myself because it's really just it. It's really all just a product of how generous she is. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, to put it simply, it's nuts. And you, you said all this 
stuff that happened before I met her, but it's more like before I was even born. Right. And, um, <laughs> right. Um, We're trying not to age I don't you. Know. <laughs> I know I, that, that was really courteous. Um, no, she's just, she's just amazing. Cool enough that yeah. Bob Dylan proposed to her, you know? There yeah, you exactly. And, you know, and she doesn't even need him. <laughs> she doesn't need that deadbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that old sack of bones. Love Bob. Yeah. If you ever listen to this, yeah. love you, Bob Dylan. Uh, <laughs> he probably won't ever. Uh, t- so let's <laughs> talk about the Tweety show. Um, it's kind mm-hmm. of become this, this like Instagram internet mm-hmm. sensation. Like, mm-hmm. is that, that's got to be like, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, whose idea mm-hmm. was it just to like start that first night and how long did it, to take for it to become like feel normal inviting right. people into your home every night? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Um, I think it was my, <laughs> I think it was my mom's idea. My dad might have, my dad might have encouraged her and said like, we should, um, we should, you know, do a, a live stream or something that first night, but we never intended it for it to be a regular thing. We just did one, uh, kind of joke, I guess was mm-hmm. the, the first night in March, 2020. And then, uh, I guess it was just really fun and people were into it. So we did it the next night and for All a while clients? it was, yeah, the clients. At some point, we started calling the viewers clients. I think yeah. I think that was a joke that point. I made about just about it being a professional relationship. But <laughs> and then it really stuck. Um, but yeah, we we had no idea that we would make a whole thing out of it, and like it, it literally didn't even cross anyone's mind that we would do another one after that first night hmm. until after we did it. Um, but going into it, it was just, I think my mom or my dad wanted to cheer my mom up because it was weird that we were, my dad says he wanted to cheer my mom up. And my mom says that my dad wanted to do Mm -hmm. something because he was, he missed playing shows, Mm -hmm. but, um, whatever the reason was, we kind of kept the streak going of doing it almost every single weeknight. And it gradually had to tone it down to like, just a few nights a week because it was a lot of For work sure. learning so many cover songs and stuff mm-hmm. every, every night, um, which was only possible because we didn't have anything else going on at the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Too real. But yeah. Too it's turned into yeah. a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I really, I loved, uh, obviously you do like a, a bunch of different covers, but I really like the Japanese breakfast one you, you guys did. I think it was Kokomo. Oh, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then she reciprocated and was like, "Oh my god, this is like the biggest moment of my life." That <laughs> yeah, like, like, whoa, okay, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Every once in a while, one of the covers would kind of poke out, poke out of our insular world with the clients and get some attention <laughs> elsewhere. Which was fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're gonna be trying to be mindful of your time right now. So we're gonna wind down with some Chicago questions for you. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen to Marks, you probably know where we're going with these. Uh, mm-hmm. Deep dish or thin crust pizza? What's what's the preference for for you? I prefer to eat a uh, to eat a thick thin crust. I think okay. like um sort of like a like a like a Chicago's pizza thin crust or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not against deep dish. 
and Lou Malnati's deep dish is is uh, is really special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would agree. Uh, so, like, do you have a favorite spot for thicker, thin crust? Uh, yeah, without La giving Villa. too much away. La Villa, yeah, La Villa is really classic. That's okay. like the pizza. That's the thin crust of my childhood. Okay, that's a really good thin crust pizza. Okay. Right. Oh, but you know, these days there's all there's kind of like a pizza renaissance in Chicago right now, where all of these uh, Italian and New York style pizzas mm-hmm. are infiltrating yep. infiltrating our pizza community and, <laughs> frankly, evolving our pizza identity. And one of those is a Poly G's in Logan Square yeah, is like yeah. really delicious, and Pizza spot. Lobo, Pizza Lobo mm-hmm. is really yep. also delicious. But those those aren't really Chicago, I will say. I, I, I do like the variety, you know, sometimes you get a little yeah. bit bored with getting the same pizza over and over, although pizza is great yeah. any time, but right. Yeah. Right. Um, favorite cheap beverage. So, you know, uh, if we're talking booze, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of like PBR, like I'll drink. Yeah. I've had way too many PBRs in my life. Do you have, <laughs> you're going to reach for a cheap drink. What are you reaching for? Um, either Tecate or high life. And, um, so are you a a bottle can or tap high life person? Um, bottle. Yes. Good. Good man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, what this, and you're probably friends with these people. So you might not want to answer this question, but do you have like any Chicago bands that are standing out in your mind right now or making some really great music? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to my friend Chet's uh, record. Well, I shouldn't say that because I play on it, but um, <laughs> he has a band Self-serving, called Lucky, I got it. <laughs> Lucky Cloud. Uh, that's I think he's going to put it out sometime next year. He's just like a really amazing guitar player that nobody knows about yet. He's he's like a a very very uh, well studied student of bill frizzell like not literally taking okay. classes from him but but just studying mm-hmm. those records and countless other players that i wouldn't even know chet would have to tell you maybe you have to talk to chet but um there you go. but yeah lucky cloud and um uh i'm really into uh sports boyfriend um they opened for liam's uh liam kazar's album release show one of album release shows last summer and um, they just have a really, really cool way of singing. It's this intense, like, focus that I find very badass and not the most common. Um, and I love Dead, D-E-H-D. I'm yeah, sure yeah, they're great. I've seen yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're thankfully getting some recognition. Um, Clay from Twin Peaks is, uh, going to have some, he's been working on solo music that I've gotten to see live in a couple places, um, that I think is going to be really sweet and cool. And, um, yeah, there's always so much good, so many good, um, things going on here. And well, sports boyfriend, the first song I pull up from them is called dollar beer night. So that's, that's definitely mm-hmm. in my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we'll, we'll end it with, uh, what, what have you been listening to lately? Let's not necessarily have to be Chicago music, but anything and everything yeah. you've been listening to anything standing out to you best album of the year. 
Yeah, I've been. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, oh, you said doesn't have to be Chicago. Right. Yeah, it could be anything. What's moving? I've you been. Uh, I've been obsessed with this song by. Um, I don't know how to pronounce their band name, uh, but Tan Start Bandit. You know what I'm talking about? I think they're on Drag City. Um, it's T O N S T A R D T T something. Um, but they have, (laughs) they have, uh, this song called what has happened on their new record that I really love. And I'm also thinking of like, um, stealing a little bit because it's built on this. He plays like electric guitar. I think it's electric guitar and it's played through some sort of arpeggiating pedal that makes it sound like a synthesizer, but it's really expressive because he's still bending strings and, and moving around in this way that you can't really do on a keyboard. So, um, and I think it's two brothers, um, which I also find very inspiring because I make music with my brother, Sammy. And um, Mm -hmm. I've been really loving that song. That's awesome. 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 Um, All right. I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Excuse me. I just wanted to clear my throat there for a second. Uh, Mm -hmm. What, uh, what are you most excited about music wise for yourself or uh, people Mm -hmm. around you in the next coming year? Um, I'm excited for uh, these upcoming Tweety show or upcoming shows with my dad um, with the Tweety band. um, And we're playing just like these, a couple of residencies in Chicago and mm-hmm. LA and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to solid sound coming back next spring, mm-hmm. which will be the first one since, um, since the beginning of the pandemic. And excuse me, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to more touring with Liam because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Liam is just, um, you know, one of my closest collaborators and, uh, very talented know, yeah most one of the most important people in my life and uh we got to do some shows this fall but ultimately it was a pretty short tour mm-hmm. and um i think it'll be really fun if we get to do some more next year and also putting out the case oats record and putting out that lucky cloud record and i don't know just sort of you're, you're sort of all guy. of it but if if i had <laughs> If I had to pick one thing, I guess I would point to solid sound because that's always just like this, this summit of mm-hmm. uh, all the stuff we love. And I have to say, without revealing anything, the lineup is absolutely nuts. Uh-oh. Like, oh, it's so. Are, are you playing? <laughs> Can you tell us uh, that? Yeah, are you well, playing? Yeah, uh, I'm playing with my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but um, enough for me. Like we, yeah. Oh, thank you. But um, it's truly mind-boggling, and I can't wait till it gets announced. Cause awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we but, won't press you on that unless you want to tell us what day <laughs> the announcement's coming out. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks know. so much. Oh, okay. Thank you. We'll take that. Yeah. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. At least Tom and I will be at the show on December twenty-third. So. Yep. Uh, oh, great. Yeah, it'll be great to see you guys again. Always yep. a great time seeing Tweety or Wilco. Any variant thereof but absolutely uh it's been a real pleasure sitting down talking with you thanks for giving us the time thanks yeah thank you and thanks for uh creating this you know document slash homage to the city and the music that we 
we love so much. Awesome. Absolutely. Pre- we love it too. Appreciate you recognizing that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. the goal. Thanks so much for listening today. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. 